Episode 175 of Biz Women Rock is here. What's going on? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. This podcast was created so that you would have direct access to the true stories of what it's like being a businesswoman, the real true journey of very savvy, very smart businesswomen. If you love these stories, then make sure you go to bizwomenrock.com and opt in so that you can get updated on all the latest podcast interviews, as well as how you can become a more active part of the whole Biz Women Rock community, which kind of rocks. So go to bizwomenrock.com. Deborah Vogue is my guest today, and the reason I giggle in the very beginning of our conversation is because I completely messed up her name, <laughs> and we had to start over, so sorry about that, Deborah. Um, she's the founder of a company called Connect2 Corporation. She has been a business coach and consultant since 1999, and the conversation really revolves around what she's learned throughout that time of all the different evolutions in her business. Um, how she uh, created product and why she did that, and her very unique approach to marketing. And this is a total non-traditional, you know, blow it up big digital internet marketing uh, version of her marketing. So I really, really liked it. It's a very basic and works very well. And the common theme that you're going to hear throughout is her constant practice of tuning into herself and what she's supposed to be doing in order to better service her clients and in order to grow her business. So um, you're going to learn a lot from Deborah. So let's get going. Deborah Vogue, what is going on, girl? Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited that you're here. Um, you are somebody who has created a really long time um, consulting company, which I think is very, very fascinating. And so many of the women that I've spoken to um, who have, you know, built consulting companies, there's su- there's such a very special um, manner in which you have to do that to be around so long. And you've been a- you've been founded since 1999. So I definitely want to pick your brain about the journey that you've had. And um, and how you've built this business this whole time. So let's start first with how you how you knew that you wanted to be a coach and a consultant. Like, how did you really come to that conclusion in the first place? I knew I wanted to be a coach before I knew what the term was for coaching. Um, but while I was in business school, I remember coming into. Uh, a waiting room for a massage and picking up kind of a new agey style magazine and flipping to the story. I, I love a career profile. And so there was one like this that was on the front page of the magazine. And it was about Cheryl Richardson and her coaching business. I'd never heard of Cheryl Richardson. Um, I don't even know if she had written her first book at that point or not. And I started reading about what she does. And I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. That's what this is called. And I had been in business school for the intention of starting my own business, but I hadn't nailed down what I wanted to do. And at that time, I kind of knew. I had been a consultant in organizational change. I'd always been interested in where psychology and business overlap. 
And after six years in consulting and organizational change, when I, by the time I started business school, I realized organizations don't change unless individuals change. And so I became more and more interested in working with people one-on-one and helping them make sustainable change. So that that moment of self-care, which is kind of funny now that I think about it, because Cheryl Richardson went on to write a book called The Art of Extreme Self-Care, which yeah. I like the um, But that moment when I was in business school, it was a very stressful time for me. And so I started, for the first time in my life, getting regular one-month, I mean, regular monthly body work massage sessions. Okay. And it was in waiting for one of those sessions that I happened to pick up that article. And it was an aha, I know this is it light bulb moment. Wow. So how did you move from that light bulb moment to actually developing a coaching practice of your own? Because it's very, you know, it's different than, okay, yeah, you've got this idea, but now you actually like build a business. What, what were your first steps in actually creating that? Well, when I came out of coming out of business school, I felt like I had this unique opportunity to take advantage of the recruiting that went on and coming out of MIT Sloan School of Management. And I signed up to go work for a consulting firm doing organizational effectiveness work, organizational change. And I, at that point, did not at all feel ready to start my own business either. And so I wanted to learn and make my mistakes kind of on somebody else's dime. And um, working for the consulting firm was a great way to do that. And I got put on a project in scenic Parsippany, New Jersey. You know, people hear stories about consulting. Ooh, the travel. Right, right. (laughs) That sounds exciting. And ooh, the travel I got was Parsippany, New Jersey. So I started (laughs) going to Parsippany every Sunday night or early Monday morning. And I would come back. If I was lucky, I'd get back Thursday night in time for ER. Remember when ER was (laughs) on the clock? (laughs) So this was 1997, 1998. And every week I would go to Parsippany and think, I've got to go see my friend Jochen, who was was a very close friend of mine from high school, who lived 15 minutes from Persephone. And every week, I would work these crazy consultant hours till the middle of the night, and I wouldn't see him, and then I would start again um, the next week. This week, I'm going to get in touch with Jochen and go see him and have dinner with him. Well, I was on that project September, October, November, making that promise to myself and not following through. And the very end of November or the first week of December, I got a phone call from him that something really strange had been happening with him at the Thanksgiving dinner table. His elbow, he kept trying to put his arm on the table and his elbow kept falling off. He couldn't control his arm Hmm. and he knew something was wrong and it turned out he was very sick. I started spending every weekend there so I could be with him. And he went downhill so fast from Thanksgiving till March 19th, he passed away. Wow. Four months later. He had AIDS and lesions on the brain and major complications from all of that. And I was 30 years old and he was 30 years old. And I was like, oh my gosh, life is so short. I mean, life can be so short. And if I'm going to be on this earth for just four more months, what is important to me to be doing? What if I just found out I only had four months and it definitely wasn't working for the insurance firm in Persephone, New Jersey. Right. And I thought I've got to make it my mission to start my business. And so that was when he died. It was March 19th, 1998. 
And March 19th, 1999 was when I filed the DBA papers to start my own business. Wow. What a great story. I mean, I mean, just really powerful. What, um, just thinking of it. I mean, I didn't feel ready. It's not that I felt ready, but I thought, when am I ever really going to be ready? And since then, I've talked to so many women like you do about how they started their businesses. And nobody ever says to me, you know, I had 12 months of savings in the bank and I had all, all the right people lined up. I had the idea that I had already proven was perfect and plenty of time. Right. And so I just started. It wasn't like that for me. Um, but I started by figuring out what it was I most wanted to do and getting the word out in, within my own community Yeah, and going from there. You know, the funny thing about that is, Deborah, is that even though um, that really, that version doesn't exist of like, I was so prepared, money was great, I had the plan down perfectly, and the first time I rolled it out, everything clicked. I mean, th- that that is like a 0.0001% of that actually like happening and existing. But, yeah. you know, like there more often than not, there's tons of mistakes, tons of failures, tons of lack of money, tons of going into debt in order to make it happen, tons of I'm not ready, I'm not confident, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that no, even though that is the more prevalent story, it's not the more popular one. You know, for, <laughs> for some reason, we we keep thinking like it has to still be this zero point or zero point zero 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 one percent. That's what it needs to look like, and it's just not. And that's why I love this platform because so many great women like yourselves are are here saying, "Hey, you know, like." I started even though I had no idea what I was doing and I was terrified and I didn't, I just figured it out as I went along. So, and that, that brings so much power to everyone listening because now all of a sudden we're not alone. Like, okay, okay, good. She's faking it till she made it too. You know, that's great. (laughs) And some days I have to tell you, there's a very rare day where I feel like, Ooh, I made it. Yeah. Those days I'm like, Ooh, I'm faking it. (laughs) Yeah. Even after 16 years. And and this is what I tell other women in business too. It's never, it, it is something to have the 16 years behind me and I'm proud of that, but it's not like I ever arrive. I think it's a myth. We think about when we arrive, when we, re- we right. reach this revenue number or this profit number or this metric, we will have arrived and everything will be easy. And I there's no arrival because it's yeah, a moving target. Yeah, I don't think that exists, actually. As a matter of fact, I'm more of a believer that the the amazing entrepreneur, like the real entrepreneur never feels satisfied. And I think that's a good, that I think that's a good feeling. Like there's the negative aspect of it, which is like, you're constantly, you're constantly churning and like, you're constantly working towards something that it, like you are saying is constantly moving and you're never really going to get there. But, but I like the idea of believing that we, you know, I'm never satisfied because I feel like that brings the best of the best to the table. I'm, I'm blessed enough to work with all different types of entrepreneurs in our local company. And, you you know, I'm around people who have been in business for 40, 45 years, and they're still, they still are figuring it out. They're still like owning up to the fact that, yeah, I need to learn this. Yeah, I don't really know this yet. Yeah, I do this and this is great, but I need to know this over here. And what about this idea over here? And I just, I think that that's a really great mark of an entrepreneur. I agree. I like that perspective. Yeah. So, um, so a couple questions for you about how you initially grew your coaching company, because you know, if you didn't really even know the language for it back then, I can't imagine that, you know, in 1997, 1999, when you started that, you know, people were really clinging on to this idea of a coach. So how, how did you, how did you acquire and um, clients and customers? And how did you really make sure that you were actually getting revenue in right away? 
So I'm thinking that the answer to that question <laughs> is kind of the same for what I'm doing now too, okay. which is not to say that it didn't work the first time, but just to say that my business keeps evolving. Yeah. And I did start out thinking of myself as having a coaching consulting company. In today's version, I think of myself as having a communications firm where I do speaking and writing and coaching is my third line of business. Um, you know, not necessarily in that order. So it's an evolution. So I started by thinking, okay, what are the skills I have that I most want to be using to serve others in this business? Let me get really clear on those. And I encourage anyone listening to do this, your top three skills that you most want to use. And then I thought about what are my top three areas of interest? What are the things that I get most excited about? What are the topics I like to think about and write about and discuss for fun with my friends? And what sections of the paper am I reading? And really, what are my passions? And then I eventually added to this model the third column, or what are the core character traits or qualities that I have that can really make a difference for people as I serve them? So I went around with my... I called it the SIQ, and now I call it the brilliant statement. I went around with my SIQ and had a lot of conversations with people in my community. This is what I can do. This is how I can help. This is what I'm passionate about. And I said, what can you think of where these skills and interests overlap? What can you think of where one or two or maybe even three of these interests come together? Hmm. And so at the time, I was interested in individual change learning and education, and technology that, I'm just trying to think what that SIQ statement said at the time, technology that drives productivity. Okay. And I'm still interested in all those things, but those were my top three at the time. And so I had a lot of conversations with people. And um, one of the things, one of the conversations I had with someone led me back to the MIT Sloan MBA admissions office where I had been a, oh, I remember, I met with somebody who worked there. When I was in business school, they had student volunteers interviewing applicants. They don't do that anymore. But I know some of the people working in admissions because I'd been one of those student volunteers. And one of the people I went to have this conversation with worked there full time. And he said, wow, given this set of skills that you have, you should be working with us. Hmm come talk to the director. And so I had lunch with the director and he invited me to be one of the contract admissions readers for the MBA program. So that's just an example of MIT Sloan became one of my clients at that time. So just by having this conversation with lots of different people, eventually I had a handful of organizational clients and that was the basis for the business and kind of the anchor income. And I started building the individual coaching practice at the same time. So it, how did you actually like package that for individuals, I want to say? Like I understand for, um, you know, for MIT, you were able to really have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. But how are you able to package yourself and say to any individual client who is interested um, or in a way that would allow them to be interested instead of just this, hey, here's all the things that I'm great at. Like, how did you end up coming up with a brand? Here's who I am. Here's what I'm great at. Here are the pain points that I can help you solve. Yeah. So it all went back to that PsyQ for me. So one of the things that I love to do and still love to do is helping people tell their career stories. And 
it had happened that you know, to get into MBA programs, you have to write these personal essays. It's different than other graduate programs. And you have to tell stories in the personal essays. And after I got into Sloan, people started asking me to help them with their essays. And so I was doing this just, you know, as a favorite of friends. And then they started sending their friends to me. <laughs> and this was all about this time when I started, I started my business. And I thought, wait a minute, I don't even know these people. <laughs> but this is something people think I'm really good at and that I can help them with. So this can be a service that I offer in coaching. So I started um, just letting people know that I worked with MBA applicants to help them tell their stories through their essays. And that was the first way I packaged it. I think originally I started working by the hour. And over time, as I gained more confidence in my process and realized that I'd really, I really had something and had a system and a way that I went about it, I started doing flat fee, um, flat fee for a certain amount of service or a certain amount of value. Got it. So that's one example. And then I started, as I evolved, as my career evolved, people coming to me for different things. So I built this whole business. Then people started coming to me and saying, how did you build your business? Can you help me build a business? I want to have a business. And I would say, sure. And that started the same way. I started coaching people hourly. And then I started realizing what were the things that these people I had attracted had in common and how I could help them. And then I started looking at that and adjusting my marketing to reflect that what was already coming towards me mm. so that it magnified and grew. Gotcha. And from there, what, what were some of the other major, like how did communications end up coming into the picture for you? Communications has, I think, always been at the root of what I've done. I've always been a real language person. I'm a natural editor. I write my own personal stories. Like I blog for fun. Um, and when I was in business school, I was a communications TA for the required communications class everybody had to take, teaching people how to improve their presentations. It was always at the root of what I did. I'm a Gemini. Geminis are all about communication. <laughs> it was just always there. And I kept looking back as the business grew and trying to see what the themes were in my skills and themes of my interests and the themes of the impact people told me that I was making. And I just kept rehoning and reshaping my business from there till now I'm at the point where I don't even work with business school applicants anymore. Um, that's just, I've become more interested in other things. And uh, I do work with business owners still, but I work mostly with women professionals, some of whom have their own jobs and some of whom have their own businesses, and some of whom are coming back into the workforce after taking a break for health reasons or to care for somebody else, a parent or a child. And really, I started realizing what they wanted my help with was how to communicate either in the negotiations they had to have or through their marketing materials if they were entrepreneurs, or through their resumes and cover letters and informational interviews if they were job seekers. That's just been an underlying root of what I do across areas of service. Hmm. So what, what have been some of your most successful ways currently that you've gotten in front of your target market? Like how, how are you constant, besides the word of mouth, which I know when you do really great business always ends up happening as, you know, as is a good example from your prior focuses, but what sort of very proactive things are you doing to make sure you're getting in front of your potential client? 
So the two things I'm doing on a regular basis now are writing and speaking. So in terms of writing, I write a blog that you can see on my website Mm -hmm. that really is my own personal story of what I'm experiencing in life and what I'm learning from it and sharing that with my community. And every time I blog, I send out an email to my list, which is, I don't know how many people, like 1,200 people or something. And then it also gets um, shared with people in my social media network, which is another few thousand people. And um, that's a way that people stay in touch with me personally and professionally and see what's on my mind. And I think that, oh, did I finish the sentence where I said I email out to those people the blog post? Mm -hmm. And um, I think... I know that something that really works for me to stay top of mind for my community, for me to stay present um, in people's minds so that when they have a need, they've heard from me in the past week or two and then, oh, maybe Deborah can help. Right. So that's one way. And then speaking, I have a signature talk called What's Your Brilliance? A Framework for Fulfilling Work. And I'm going around giving this signature talk wherever I can. Um, and it's a free talk. Uh, usually <laughs> it's a free talk and then I make an offer at the end of it for people to get something um, from the talk sent back to them via email and then they're on my blog list and so then I stay connected with them gotcha uh, too. so speaking and writing are how I expand and stay in touch with my community so how many how often would you say that you go out and give that talk um, that's a really good question. It goes up and down and I've been giving it a lot virtually lately and this week for the first time between you and me, although I realize maybe it's the second time, but for the first time, <laughs> I think I'm getting paid to do a speaking engagement. That's great. So exciting. It's you know, the kind where I'm not making an offer at the end. How often do I do it? Ideally, I'm doing three to four talks a month. Some months I end up doing six or seven and some months I end up doing one or two. Gotcha. And this is a really good way, basically, for you to feed your pipeline, which is awesome. Yes. So um, so uh, I noticed that you have a, a product, a couple different products that you offer on your website. And um, and I was really particularly interested in the Brilliance-Based Businesswoman Success System. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about that. How did you come up with that program? And talk a little bit about what it took to really put it together. Okay. So this was an evolution. So I did not sit down one day and say, aha, I think going forward, I'm going to use something called the Brilliant Space Business Woman Success System, and this is what's going to be in it. I'm going to start using it with my clients. It was actually the reverse. I started thinking about how I worked with those entrepreneurs and how I work with those business school applicants and how I work with those job seekers, and I realized I had a set of tools that was working across these contexts um, to help people figure out what their brilliance was and to help them figure out what success means for them at this phase of their lives and to help them make the decisions that were in front of them and to help prepare them for the negotiations that were important to them to get what they wanted to achieve the success as they defined it. Um, and then I named it. <laughs> so, gotcha. um, I, got to the point that I was doing a lot of coaching one-on-one, and then I also started running groups. And the groups had different purposes. Sometimes I'd work with a group of people applying to business school. Sometimes I'd work with a group of people who were starting businesses. Sometimes I'd work with a group of job seekers. And I took them through this process, which I started realizing broke down into seven steps. And then I started recording those calls 
And at first, when I, I realized that I was getting much, much faster at coaching and I could help people get the same results more quickly, mm-hmm. if instead of me on every call explaining my whole, this is how it works, <laughs> and go through this, if I recorded a group that I coached through, and then I sent all my individual clients to go listen to listen to module one from the program I did with this group, listen to me teach about this, see the homework um, that, I, that I gave, that I put up on the website, and walk through those steps, and then come back and let's talk about what worked and what didn't for you, and talk about where you got stuck, then I would have to spend a lot more, a lot fewer hours coaching people into the same result. Got it. So it's a lot more efficient for them and for you, and um, it really helped them start out with you at like step number five instead of zero. Yeah, it was really, I thought, really win-win all the way around. Then I started realizing that there were lots of people who wanted to coach with me but didn't want to pay the price for the one-on-one coaching, which is, you know, value-based pricing. And I wanted to offer something that was a lot more affordable. So I started selling that package of recordings and assignments and homework assignments and notes um, on its own. So now when someone comes to me and says, they're interested in working with me, how can they do it? I have an option for them that's several thousand dollars, which is working with me one-on-one, or an option that's only a few hundred dollars, right. which is the independent study program. Got it. So um, how successful has that program been? I see it's on your website. People can go click. They can learn more about it, and then they can actually purchase it right then and there. Is, is your yep. website the main way that it's selling, or is it usually because you're talking to somebody, you've built that relationship, and now you can kind of um, you know, uh, recommend that they go here and kind of handhold them to it? Okay, here's a secret. Not one stranger who was unknown to me ever went to my website. Yeah. <laughs> And purchased my product, and I had no idea who they were. It's Got it. always after a conversation or after them hearing me speak. Got it. It's one of those things. Yep. Well, that makes total sense because unless you have like a massive, you know, like traffic campaign to go to your website and yeah. a whole marketing, I, that's what I was going to ask you. If you had like, you know, like a, a total uh, digital marketing strategy that's driving people to the website, having people sign up for this, doing the launch for this program all the time, which is one way to do it, but definitely not the only way. Um, and it sounds like what you're doing is you have that available. And as you're going out and doing your, you know, very in-person, high-touch, high-quality marketing of speaking and, uh, you know, being available and meeting with people that you now can offer this as an op- as another option other than your coaching. Yes. And I decided several years ago, I learned a lot about internet marketing between like 2009 and 2011. I kind of really studied it and got into learning about it. Mm-hmm. And then I made the decision based on everything I knew. I don't want to be an internet marketing business. I understand <laughs> why it sounds appealing to people. Um, but that is just not what I feel called to do. And and I'm not excited about it. So I have friends who have really successful coaching businesses, and they sell a lot of digital products, because they have what I call marketing machines behind them that they've cultivated and that work great. I don't want to be running a marketing machine. I want to be spending most of my time sharing my message with people in groups or one on one or through my writing. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the process that you have for someone becoming a client, because one of the things that I noticed on your website that I thought was really cool was that people have the opportunity to schedule an appointment there, like a complimentary appointment 
with you right then and there. So you can go to the website right away, you know, hey, you know, sign up for a complimentary session with Deborah, and then you have your um, schedule once and people can go ahead and schedule a, a free consultation. So how, how does that work for you? And do you experience like a certain level of cancellations because it's free? Um, or like what's, you know, how does that end up converting for you? Tell me a little bit about that sort of entry um, process for clients. So that's interesting that you said because it's free that I might experience cancellations. I actually really never thought about that, and I hardly ever do. By the time people decide that they want to have a conversation with me, maybe it's because of the way my website is laid out, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's because I have some amazing... um, people referring people to me and they're just just singing the praises of the work we did together. Um, By the time they make the appointment, I would say they show up 98% of the time. And that also may be because I schedule once is so great. You use it too, right? Yeah, Yeah, I do. I love it. I love it. Totally integrates with my Google calendar. Highly recommend. Um, and I think there's even a way to use it for free or very low cost. I I pay for that annual subscription and it's Mm -hmm totally worth it to me to no longer have my assistant going back and forth. How about Wednesday? How about Wednesday at right. 3? I mean, it saves so much time. It saves so much time. It's such a beautiful thing. And the system sends out reminders, as you know. So they, what happens, the way I have it set, it up, set up is they click on that circle on my website. They want to schedule a time. They get to see my calendar, see what's open. And then they click that they want to you know, confirm Tuesday at 2 o'clock or whatever. And then they immediately get an email saying, great, your appointment with Deborah is Tuesday at 2 o'clock. To help Deborah prepare, please fill out the client prep form. Got it. And I don't know, maybe it's not called a client prep form, but a prep form. And on my website, there's that link and there's a few options for having a career connection call or an entrepreneur connection call. There's a few different kinds. And the questions on that form are geared towards whether it's somebody who is making a career change or growing a business, et cetera. And I asked them to fill that out, that form and send me a copy of their resume or bio up to or n- no more than, no less, no less than one day before the Tuesday at two o'clock in this example. Mm-hmm. And so I have prepared by reading the answers to their questions. And that's kind of a, screening process all in of itself. I mean, I get to know a lot about people just from those questions and it probably takes them 10 minutes to answer the question. It's not a, you know, 20 page survey, but it's just enough to give me the sense of what's on their mind so that when we get on the phone, I've already thought a little bit about what can I do to be helpful and what questions can I ask them that will help both of us know if we'd be a match to work together. Got it. Very nice. So, um, I mean, one of the things that just strikes me throughout this entire conversation, Deborah, is how peaceful <laughs> you really sound about who you are in business, who you've been in business, the, you know, the evolution that you've had. And you just sound really, you know, just like it is what it is. This is this, my business is what it is. I'm happy doing this. I'm really passionate about this. Um, have you had a moment that has been really tough for you, like a moment where you literally we're just like, I don't know if I can continue. I don't screw all this. I don't want it anymore. Like, have you had that moment? I think I've had that moment more than once. (laughs) (laughs) 16 years is a long time. Um, So I, so one one time when I've had this moment was two years ago, 
January 15th, 2013 was a Tuesday and I had plenty of things planned for the week. I was giving one of my talks on the next day, Wednesday. I had all sorts of coaching clients lined up, prospect calls, you know, something I was working on writing, I'm sure, although I don't remember specifically that last part, but you know, I had my work week planned and that Tuesday night, it hit me <laughs> that something was really wrong with my son. He was my then 10-year-old son. And I called the pediatrician, and long story short, we got rushed to the hospital because um, he had type 1 diabetes. Oh, wow. And we spent the next five days in the hospital. Um, mostly those five days were about getting trained. But I remember that night, <laughs> we got him into the hospital and the whole thing was, you know, scary. And my ex-husband came to meet us. And then I think I was dating somebody at the time. And I was like texting him to say, I'm not going to be able to go to this concert we were supposed to go to the next night. And anyway, we got Aiden that this was, we got Aiden all settled um, for the night as much as we could in the hospital room and everything. And it was like three in the morning. Then I spent the next hour or something canceling and rescheduling all the things that I was planning on doing for the next day or two. Right. And then it turned out we were in the hospital for five days and I honestly have never gotten back to <laughs> the way of working that I worked the way I worked up until January 14th wow. because um, it, there was such a huge learning curve in the beginning and about how to care for someone with type one. Right. And then Type 1 is so unpredictable. People have these ideas who don't know about it. I have these ideas, oh, you just, you know, hit a stride and it's all it all works out. But it's really a constant management process for the patient and their caregivers. Um, and so uh, I was doing everything I could to get educated, to educate the school nurse, the teachers. At the time when he was diagnosed, he was the only kid in the school, um, in his particular elementary school with type 1. And working with the pharmacies and all the multiple doctors and all the meetings that you have to go to, I was in super high adrenaline alert go mode, I think, for a good year wow. um, of 2013. And I kept trying to run my business, but I just... I couldn't deliver on everything that I would l normally be able to deliver on. I couldn't have all the coaching sessions that I wanted to have. And I just didn't have all the time because it was taking up so much time to not just care for him, but to kind of run the, <laughs> the division of my household that is, that's become about diabetes management. Right. So uh, anyway, I was on high alert go mode all of 2013 and I had, a lot of marketing in place that I had already planned that was able to pretty much just continue. In 2014, I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was at some point when I realized, okay, phew, we made it through the first year. I realized how tired I was and that I was really kind of burned out. Um, and I just didn't have the energy to work on my business. I went back to my own I, I use my own tools that I use with my clients on myself all the time. And one of the tools I use in the figuring out what success means for you is priorities. And I went back to my list of priorities and to see what I prioritized as my top five priorities. I realized 
I'm only able to do number one. I'm lucky if I'm able to keep number one going. And there's numbers two through five are distant behind number one. And the number one was to show up for my kids and give them whatever they needed. And there was a time in the first few months that I couldn't even get to number two, which was taking care of my own body and soul. It later in that year, that part came back more. So I was just, like I said, I was exhausted and I wound down lots and lots and lots of things I was doing. I stopped blogging as one example. It just wasn't, just wasn't high enough on my list. There just wasn't enough time. There just wasn't enough energy. And it scared me that knowing that blogging was a big source of business development for me that you know, I didn't know what was going to happen to my business. I also knew I couldn't deal with all the people who were coming to me and saying that they wanted to work with me because right. I didn't have time. So um, I, I would definitely say that moment most recently came in 2014. And what I had to do was get really clear again about getting my own needs met, which I really hadn't paid any attention to, I think, in 2013. And I, and I don't regret that. Um, but by that point, there was time to do that. And um, to figure out what what I needed. And what I needed was a lot of sleep. Because <laughs> one of the, things the first thing that's coming to my mind is like, okay, I hope you slept for a year. <laughs> one of the things you do with type 1 diabetes is you wake up in the middle of the night to check your kid to make sure your kid's not going hypoglycemic. Right. And so just all that waking up at night, it was not as bad as, but almost like having a baby again. And my sleep was just so disrupted. And so during the day, so, you know, I couldn't work for eight hours a day like I used to, not only because I didn't have eight free hours, but also because I would have to take naps. I would just be so wiped out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I rejuvenated quite a bit last year. And by the end of the year, we went on a vacation, a real family vacation uh, for the first time in a few years. And I came back refreshed enough that I felt ready to start again. And so... I'm um, in the kind of reboot mode now, and it's exciting. I've started blogging again. I've started speaking much more. I have, I just feel somehow that the universe has opened up and a lot more people are coming towards me again because I am emotionally open to them and time-wise I'm open to them again. Yeah. But I don't work the way I did before the day that Aiden was diagnosed. My work days, my work schedule is different. Well, Deborah, I really appreciate you giving voice to that because um, I think so many times we think that it always has to, business always has to look a certain way. There always has to be growth. And, um, and you know, I, I definitely find myself in this, like, you know, there's no, there's no stepping back. Like, I might take a step back, but I better be leaping three steps forward. Like, that's what it's got to be. And even though I understand that it's all a journey, I mean, I think that there's this, this fear when things start really slowing down or things really, really change. But what a great story about just flowing with it, giving into what you and your body and your priorities really need, and then knowing that it all comes back around. So, Anyway, just really, really great lesson there. And, you know, Deborah, I, I really want to thank you so much for sharing your story here. I think it's been incredible, um, you know, just the longevity that you've had following your passions and really being clear on what it is that you have to give to this world, I think, is the foundation of what has driven your business all these years. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. 
find out more about Deborah and to get more information about her services and her uh, home study course, which is amazing, just go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 175 and there'll be direct links there to uh, connect with her, okay? Um, really great conversation. Didn't she just seem so peaceful? I couldn't get over that. Like she was just so mellow. And throughout even her going through her toughest moment, which um, has been a huge challenge for her, she, and I really got that she was just so in tune with who she is, what's important to her, what her priorities are. And she kept on telling stories about going back to that and making a practice of going back to that, which is why I really believe that she's so peaceful. So um, really enjoyed that story. learned a lot from Deborah, and I hope you did too. All right, we're out for now. (laughs) I'll see you on the next episode.